The message today is a simple one. Anyone can be saved. Anyone can be saved. Our text is that has been read to us already is from 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 17. And as we have been talking about the battle for souls lately, we are reminded that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. The battle for souls is going on all around us and within us. There is a fight, a good fight of the faith within as we seek to make sure that we are ready for the great judgment day. But the battle for souls is more... Uh, than just us. We have to consider the lost who are all around us. And as good soldiers fighting the good fight of faith, we must act upon the knowledge that anyone can be saved. That is Paul's point as he writes to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, I ask uh, the the Lesson comes in the form of questions today, as you see in the outline today, some questions to make us think and just to look back at the scripture to get the answer. The first question is, Christ Jesus strengthened Paul and put him into service even though he was what? In 1 Timothy 1.12 12 starts, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Paul points out the fact that there he has a past life, that he was formerly uh, one who was not a good guy. He was even violent and a blasphemer. So let us remember who Paul was. But the second question, it says, what was shown to Paul? What was shown to him? What was revealed to this blasphemer, persecutor, violent aggressor? And it ends in verse 13 saying, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. He was shown mercy. It was revealed to him the idea of mercy that, hey, you can be forgiven. Even though you're this horrible sinner, you can be forgiven. The question for verse 14 says, how was Paul saved? And again, you, connecting it with the end of verse 13, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. With the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Now this is a beautiful passage filled with some beautiful words. And they're beautiful words because they connect the idea of what somebody was with what they could become. This grace of our Lord. There was grace. There was mercy. There was grace. The song we just sang before communion, I believe, said, mercy Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. Beautiful thing, the mercy and grace of God. 
Paul was very familiar with this because he had the former life that he now connected with a new life. And he knows the only way that he could get this new life was through the mercy and grace of our Lord. And it was abundant. No, it was more than abundant. And here we get this idea that this grace and love, it's beyond description. It's beyond compare. And that is something that is so important about the message of Christ Jesus. You can't put it into words other than to tell the story of the Son of God coming down, leaving the glories of heaven, coming down amongst creation because He loved us so to humble Himself and to go to the cross for the ones that He so desperately was wanting to save. You have to put it in terms for people to understand. God had to put it in terms for people to understand. And it was more than just words. It was more than terms. It was action. It was thus being able to see Jesus go to the cross and to die for us, to be the sacrifice for us. It's very personal and very wonderful. And His grace, the grace of our Lord, was more than abundant. With the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Faith and love are in Christ. That's why Paul gives the instruction. Remember, go back to uh, the beginning uh, of this book. In verse number 5, Paul wrote, The goal of the command, the goal of our instruction is love. The goal is love. That's why God did what He did, because He loves us. That's why Paul was shown mercy and grace because of the great and wonderful love of God. And that kind of love is found only in Christ. You know, the whole world's searching for love. We want everybody to know and understand love. When people aren't loved, they do terrible, awful things. But when people know true love then their life can be changed. And true love is not found in a fairy tale story. It's not not found in Disney movies. It's not found between a man and a woman. True love is found in Christ. It's found only in Christ. Verse 14 again, And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Do you think the rest of the world wants to be happy? I guess the question first is, are you happy? If you found grace and mercy, if you found faith and love in Christ Jesus, that's very important to us. It is the only thing that gives us peace and hope And happiness, blessedness. So first of all, do you have that kind of happiness because you are in Christ? And then the next question is, well, if you have some happiness because you are in Christ, don't you think the rest of the world wants some happiness? Wants some joy, wants some peace, wants to be whole, wants to take a broken life and be made whole? Faith and love are found in Christ Jesus. That is what saved Paul when he learned about the one who died to save him. On to the question for verse 15, and first a statement. 
Very simple, straightforward statement. And it is this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did Jesus come? To save. To deliver us. To heal us. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Look at verse number four. The first question comes, is that a trustworthy statement? Look at verse number 15. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus, or excuse me, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Is it a trustworthy statement? Is this statement worth grabbing hold of? Is this statement worth us having in the forefront of our mind? Is this statement something that should be very foundational to our faith? Is that Jesus came into the world to save sinners? What say you? Yeah, it's a rhetorical question. We're in church, right? It's not up for debate. We got the Bible open right here in front of us. It is a trustworthy no. statement. Let us turn now to Luke chapter 19. Here's a story about one who had a broken life, who had a very terrible life, except for the fact that he was rich. Everything was going for him well that way. He was a rich man. He was a chief tax collector. He was very well-to-do, but he didn't garner much respect from his community, and he was short. So I guess everything can't be perfect, right? But he was a broken man. You look at him from the outside, you might say, yeah, this this is a short guy, but man, look what he's got. He's got it made. He has everything. But he had to, uh, little Zacchaeus, the wee little man, had to climb up into the sycamore tree because he was seeking Jesus. He wanted to see him, verse number 4. Luke 19, he wanted to see Jesus. And in verse number 9, Jesus said to him, said to Zacchaeus, who was... Wanting to make everything right. He was wanting to be right with God. He was wanting to receive righteousness. So he said, I'll give everybody back whatever I owe them. If I've cheated anybody, I'll give them back four times as much. And Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house. Because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save That which was lost. Why did Jesus come? The Son of Man came into the world to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He came into the world to save sinners. This is something Paul presents it as we look in 1 Timothy Chapter 1, he presents it. This is a trustworthy statement. This is a statement everyone should know. This is a statement that should bind us all together. This should be foundational to our faith. It should be something we're thinking about constantly. 
And that is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And again, we're reminded, hey, that's for me. I can be saved. I, even though I have sinned, I can be saved by Christ Jesus. He can save even me. But then again, we're reminded too, it also tells us that he came, Jesus didn't come to save himself, he came to save others. And so we're brought into that mission. And if you have your outline opened up, you can flip over to the other side of the, the page of the inside and you'll see our vision. It says we will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world as scripture calls us to be. That's what Jesus wants. He comes into our lives so that we can show the rest of the world who he is. The statement is still true that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That should bring us all together in a mission. A mission to carry out that we are going to act in a way to save the lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. Does that statement deserve full acceptance? Everybody, should we accept that statement? The answer is yes. Amen, amen, it's true. The last question I have, was Paul a sinner? Yes, just as all people have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we can say definitively that Paul was a sinner. But Paul doesn't just say, I, yeah, I was a sinner. He did acknowledge the fact that, man, he was a pretty heavy sinner in verse 13, didn't he? He said, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, blasphemy, boy, we talk about that one. I wonder, wonder how bad of a blasphemer he was. Did he speak against Christ? Did he speak against the church? Did he speak against God? Did he speak against the Holy Spirit? Talk bad about the Spirit? He acknowledges he was a blasphemer and a persecutor. He persecuted the church and a violent aggressor. That sounds bad, but when we get down here, Paul leaves no doubt of how he looked at his former life because at the end of verse 15, he says, I am foremost. You take all the sinners... I'm the first. I'm the worst. I am the foremost of all. I had the sinning thing down pat. That's Paul's claim. And as we look back to uh, the book of Acts, a couple of places here where Paul, it, in, my, in my mind, he just comes short of saying that he was a murderer. But look at verse chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. This was at the stoning of Stephen. It says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lament, lamentation over him. But Saul, this Paul was formerly known as Saul, as we know, 
But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Good people of the faith, good people who were so bold as to be able in the, in the midst of uh, the, that Jewish culture, the nation of Israel, they were willing to say, even though the, the head honchos were saying, you don't turn to Jesus, you don't believe in Jesus, and they were willing to do that. They had courage to do that. Paul was taking those good people of faith in Christ, putting them in prison. Well, later on when Paul recounts this before Agrippa, the king, um, he's telling his story in chapter 26. Look at verses 9 through 11. And by the way, in that Acts passage, it seems like there was a persecution that bro broke out, but it makes it very clear. Paul was ravaging the whole church, or Saul is where he was referred to there. He was the one who was leading that whole charge and going forth. doesn't mention any other names, but it mentions Saul. He seems to be the ringleader of the persecution against the church. He was certainly a sinner. In 20, Acts 26, verses 9 through 11, it says, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also... When they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. So he was putting people to death, giving the vote. Verse 11, or excuse me, yeah, verse 11. And as I punished them, often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. So Paul earned this right to call himself, I believe, the, uh, the worst of sinners, the foremost, the, the greatest of sinners. He had a right to say that. Uh, he acknowledged that. I can't imagine that he went to... Uh, went through the rest of his life just thinking little of that. It weighed heavy upon him. It's probably part of the reason that we love him so is because he turned, he didn't let that guilt or that shame, that, that past life bring him low. He let it raise him up and as much as he was going against the church and trying to persecute the church, he turned it around completely and he turned that zeal into a zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we love his efforts for what he did for the lost. He wasn't content just to save or be saved himself. He wanted all to be saved, just as God wants all to be saved. Now on to verse number 16. Question here, it says, what is the first word in this verse? New American Standard has yet. Or but, one of the greatest verse, words that you can ever see in the, the Bible because there's often a dire situation in pre, presented, the, the mess that humans get themselves into, but God comes along and he does something, doesn't he? Verse 16, yet for this, he just talks about himself being the, the worst of all sinners, the foremost of sinners, yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me, 
as the foremost, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Yet or but, God does something, even as terrible as things were, as bad as Paul was, God comes along through his mercy and grace, and he does something great. Let me ask this question. Do you know any sinners worse than Paul was? You think about that. Could narrow it down a little bit. Do you know any personally? It might make it a little easier because in this world there are some very evil people. They do a lot of awful things. But odds are, us personally, we, maybe we've never met anybody who was as evil or as bad of a sinner. Always uh, interesting to use sin in that terms, as bad of a sinner or worse a sinner. But Paul says he was the foremost. You know, he was, the, he was claiming to be the worst. You know anybody like him? You know anybody that was wanting to kill people? Put people to death because of their faith. Let me ask this. Has anyone ever tried to kill you for being a Christian? We don't know anybody quite this bad. But get this picture of understanding that as bad as Paul was, he serves as an example that anyone can be saved. That's the point. Anyone can be saved. That's why Paul's saying, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the foremost. I was awful. But I got, I got saved. Anybody can give their life to Christ. For this reason I found mercy so that in me the foremost, Jesus Christ, might demonstrate his perfect patience. As an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. There's not a soul out there who can't come to Jesus Christ and learn about him and say, you know what, I've been bad. I've done a lot of wrong things. But I believe that Jesus can save me and give me eternal life. That's the point of this lesson Anyone can be saved. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what the person down the street or across the road or five houses down or living in down deep in Kentucky or way up north in Canada in all the awful things they've done. Some guy in some prison somewhere. It doesn't matter. If people come to believe in Jesus, they can be saved. Paul's using himself. Take that back. I was going to say Paul's using himself in his example. And I say that's a wrong statement. According to this verse, Jesus is using Paul as an example to show that anyone can be saved. That's my last question. What did Jesus demonstrate with Paul? Anyone can be saved. That's the point. That's why it's here. So on to verse 17. The question is, what should be our response to the mercy and grace of Jesus? 
And it's what Paul, I think, naturally has to flow into, even though he's got uh, many more things to say, and he's not going to change topics. But he says, as he's thinking about the wonderful grace, mercy and grace of God, he says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Our response to this idea and this thought that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and to save all of them, we should say, praise be to God. To the King, immortal, eternally immortal, invisible, the only God, man, praise be to Him forever and ever. Glory and honor to Him. He is so good. I asked a minute ago if you know anybody that's uh, so bad that you just, uh, they're worse than Paul. I actually have names that come to my mind, and one of those names uh, is listed here at the bottom, another example. Uh, Roy Ratcliffe was a preacher of the gospel, and he baptized Jeffrey Dahmer in 1994. Jeffrey Dahmer. Not everybody knows him nowadays. That's a while ago, wasn't it? Terrible, twisted, demonic, evil, horrible sins, murderous, cannibalism, terrible. And Roy Ratcliffe tells stories. I think I was first aware of the conversion of... Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, because my mom had got an audio tape, a cassette tape, of this man, Roy Ratliff, um, giving, a, a, it was either a sermon, anyhow, it was an audio of him talking about the conversion, which sounds unbelievable. That someone so hideous, anybody who's familiar with what Jeffrey Dahmer did, that he could be Convert, he could come to a knowledge of Jesus and give his life to Christ and be saved and go to heaven? It sounds ludicrous. Except for this wonderful, as it says in verse 14, except for the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. You can go on to YouTube and search Roy, Roy Ratliff, um, search those names, Jeffrey Dahmer. He's got quite a few occasions where, and apparently he's written a book, uh, which I wasn't familiar with until preparing for this sermon. But he talks about the grace of God. And the reason he has written the book, the reason he has given these interviews and talked about it is because he wants everybody else to know that if... Mercy and grace can be extended to a man by the name of Jeffrey Dahmer, then mercy and grace can be extended to anyone. That's what God wanted us to know by Paul's example. That's what God wants us to know by this other example. Can you imagine meeting murderers in heaven? Well, you could probably say, no, that won't happen. 
But you could say, can you imagine meeting people who were formerly murderers in heaven, but were washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ? That certainly will happen. Moses was a murderer. He killed a man, didn't he? David was a murderer. That was even, uh, you can make the case that maybe Moses wasn't, uh, maybe it wasn't a, a premeditated murderer. And he just got out of control, didn't mean to do what he did. Uh, but with David, I expect we'll see David in heaven, King David. Premeditated act, plan to murder. We'll see murderers in heaven. Why? Because of the mercy and grace of God shown to us in Christ Jesus. So all the people out there who are sinners and bad sinners, they have hope. If somebody will tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now when people are stuck in sin, that's not a fun place to be. And people are always chasing after a new way to figure out how to be happy. And they keep pursuing happiness or joy or acceptance or love and all kinds of things. And all they really need is for someone to tell them about Jesus because Jesus has this wonderful, amazing grace that is so great that even Jeffrey Dahmer can be saved, that even Saul, the persecutor of the church, could be saved. It's just amazing. And people need to hear that message. Being a sinner is a terrible feeling. All people are sinners and need to be saved. And perhaps they even long to be saved. Those people out there that we... We're so prone to try and stay away from because they're just, I don't want to be around that person. They're awful. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in Jesus. I don't want to be around them. They might be longing and just desiring, and they don't know what they're even looking for, but they're looking for Jesus. Jesus Christ came into the world to save them. He came to save sinners. He came to save all. He doesn't love just a few. He loves all. And God's grace is, can save anyone. So the call to action is for us to win as many souls as possible. We do that by telling the message, sharing the story, telling people the good news about Jesus. And I encourage you today to be a soul winner, to put your gift that God has given you, put it to work for Christ Jesus. Share your story. Tell somebody about the joy that you find in Christ. Tell somebody that you're amazed by how wonderful Jesus is that he can save any sinner, no matter how bad. Well, how bad? Would he save Hitler? Well, if Hitler came to a knowledge of Jesus and truly accepted him in his heart and repented of his sins and wanted to live by faith, God's a judge, not me. The wonderful mercy and grace of God. We thank God for saving each one of us here. I pray that we'll all strive to share that wonderful story and message with others. I encourage you, if you've not given your life to Christ, today is the day He can save you. He can save anyone. Give your life to Him and trust Him. If you need to respond, why don't you come today as we stand and sing.